A lot of environmentalist rhetoric comes from indigenous communities. So it confuses me that we wouldn't want to put people at the forefront who have historically had a better relationship to the environment than current society. So I just wanted to make sure that in this form of environmentalism that I practice and would like other people to practice, they bring those voices to the forefront. And that's how I think we can make actual change. Welcome to the Healer Dealer podcast. This is an invitation to expand and empower yourself through conversations with the modern mystics, healers, and visionaries of our time. The only way to heal ourselves is to deal with it. I'm your healer dealer, Diana Zalecki, and I am so excited to share with you my conversation with visionary Leah Thomas. Leah Thomas is an intersectional environmental activist and eco-communicator based in Southern California. She's passionate about advocating for and exploring the relationship between social justice and environmentalism. We deep dive into why environmental justice is essential for a sustainable future, the healing quality of nature, and how we are being invited to create the society we want. If you feel called to join an environmental movement that dismantles systems of oppression, please check out intersectionalenvironmentalist.com to be connected to an epic list of resources I will put in the show notes. And a huge shout out to my sponsors, SourcePoint Wellness and Guella app. They help make this podcast possible. I hope you enjoy this episode and get super excited. I know I was in this episode and I'm just so excited to share Leah and her messaging. I just believe in it so strongly and I just think that this is such important work that we need to be aware of. All right, take care and enjoy. Hey friends, I am super excited to tell you about Guella app. It is all about finding your healer and finding yourself. It is an app that connects healers and humans. I am so excited about this. Literally anywhere you are in the world, you can check out all these different healing modalities and get connected to a healer that is perfect for you. No more searching and searching and searching for who to talk to, who to go to. This app takes out all that work. You know, you can order anything between like food or a card. Now anything online on an app that has not existed before ever in the world for healers. Now it's here. It's called Wella app. And what I love is the story behind it. It is literally created by these three siblings and with their Celtic roots the word Gwella literally means to improve or get better. So literally these three siblings have worked together to create an app to fill a void of something that did not exist, which is connecting humans and healers. And now they've done it. I highly recommend it. There is epic healers on there and it is such a beautiful platform. So I advise you to check it out and download it immediately. You can also follow them on Instagram at getguella and check out their website at getguella.com. Are you looking for kind, compassionate, and mindful medicine? I am so excited to share with you about SourcePoint Wellness. SourcePoint Wellness is an integrative healing oasis located in Los Angeles that combines Chinese, functional, and spiritual medicine along with a bit of magic. Dr. Amanda and her team of experts offer virtual healing services to anybody in the world, including integrative telemedicine, herbal medicine, distance acupuncture and Reiki, goddess acupuncture, Akashic readings, chakra balancing, healing energy work, EFT, and customized breathwork. Literally everything and anything you need to be fully supported, mind, body, and spirit, Dr. Amanda and her team at SourcePoint Wellness has got you covered. Follow them on Instagram at SourcePoint Wellness or email Dr. Amanda directly at drcohen at sourcepointwellness.com. 
first of all, I am just so, so excited to have you on. The thing that I really am just most excited to talk to you about is the connection of social justice and, and the environment. And when I came across the little tile that the world knows about, um, Black Lives, you know, environmentalism, okay, now I totally botched up the thing. Environmentalism for Black Lives, <laughs> Black Lives Matter. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, uh, environmentalists for Black Lives Matter. Um, that is something that really stuck out to me because I am super passionate about social justice and I'm super passionate about the environment. And I never hear those two combined. And so it's like, I, I've never heard anybody like forwardly speak of this is what this is and um, how the two are connected. So with my fumbly intro, <laughs> um, <laughs> I do want to just start off with how is the Black Lives Matter movement and environmentalism connected? Yeah, I think it took me a while to kind of get to that point where I could really realize how connected they were. But I think as an environmentalist, I just was never able to separate my identity as an environmentalist from my blackness. And I feel bad for my younger self for thinking that that was something that I had to do. Because when I was in environmental spaces, I always felt hesitant to talk about my black identity and things that were happening injustices specifically in the black community. Because when I did, I feel like people thought that it just didn't relate to environmentalism. But as I got older and there were more police shootings and just acts of violence against black and brown people, I started spending a lot of time in nature because nature just has like such a healing quality. And I found myself being able to process this generational trauma and trauma that was just going on to the black community by spending time in nature. And I could just breathe fresh air. And that's something that really stuck with me the act of being able to breathe fresh air because there were so many videos of so specifically eric gardner and his last words were i can't breathe and it just felt so unfair to me that i could breathe fresh air in california while there were black and brown people all across the country and world that were living in environments without access to fresh air without access to clean water without access to green spaces and healthy food and I realized that all of those things were interconnected and the same systems of oppression that are promoting the degradation of the environment are the same systems of oppression that are keeping racism alive in this country. And you can find it in the data, and I have an environmental science background, that black and brown communities are more exposed to environmental injustices. So I just realized this can't be a coincidence that these acts of violence and these environmental injustices are happening to these communities. And that's how I just kind of found the overlap. Um, the thing I also love with that focus in connecting the two is it totally makes sense, even for those that may have not thought of connecting the two prior. If you think about the way our culture, our society has taken the environment for granted, Mm -hmm. Who you know, and then also the way we've taken um, you know our privilege for granted. You know, you know, just all the conversations uh, white people are having now um, yeah. about things that they just assumed or just didn't know. You have our black and brown friends who are just accustomed to adapting their lives. You know, by the way society has been 
um, treating them even on a subconscious level, not even realizing it. And then we're doing the same thing to the environment. So it's like, I, it's like, no wonder. It, it, yes, it is connected. How yeah. many things in the world are we taking for granted um, that we are not um, thinking, you know, it goes back to privilege. It's like, because we don't think it's affecting us directly, then it's not an issue. Um, exactly. So I think that's really powerful. So the other thing that I think is really powerful is your definition of intersectional environmentalism. Can you give your beautiful definition of that? Yeah, I need to memorize this so I can start saying it, but I can kind of give some background on how I came to that definition and what it means to me. I think the coolest thing about language and being a writer is you kind of get to make up your own terms. And like the fun thing about defining something is no one can tell me I'm wrong because it's a definition that I created and it's something that's so close to my heart. But I came to that specific terminology and I didn't use words like ecofeminism. I have a lot of respect for ecofeminism, but I don't think the race component is deeply embedded in it enough. So I got the term intersectional from intersectional feminism because I've experienced similar things that I've experienced in primarily white environmentalist spaces as I have in primarily white feminist spaces, where if I bring up, you know, racial injustices that also play into the way that I experience my identity as a woman or my identity as an environmentalist, at times I've been met with defensiveness because people feel sometimes attacked. So if I say like, I'm a feminist, but I also want to talk about the fact that black and brown women are making less money, you know, in comparison to white women, because you can talk about the statistic about how women or specifically white women are earning less than white men. But then if you dive even further in the fact that black women and brown women are making even less than white women. If you bring that into a discussion, no matter how compassionately I've done it, sometimes I was just met with resistance because people would say like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's just talk about one thing. Let's just talk about being a woman. Let's just talk about being environmentalist. And I realized like, hey, we need to talk about our identities and the way that they impact these different philosophies that we're practicing. So I realized, okay, if my feminism is intersectional, why can't my environmentalism be intersectional? And I didn't realize that that wasn't a term that was super common because I wrote an article about it last year, last August for The Good Trade that's titled Intersectional Environmentalism. And I think it's the only piece of work online. Um, there's another article from 2014 from someone who said like, I want my environmentalism to be intersectional. And then there was another answer on one of those Q&A websites where someone said, maybe this was also like in 2011, like what is intersectional environmentalism? But there was no formal definition. So I just decided to think of my experiences and what I wanted the environmental community to do. And I wanted them to not only recognize the voices of black and brown people, but put them in the front and amplify their voices because for so long they haven't been. And a lot of environmentalist rhetoric comes from indigenous communities. So it confuses me that we wouldn't want to put people at the forefront who have historically had a better relationship to the environment than current society. So I just wanted to make sure that in this form of environmentalism that I practice and would like other people to practice, they bring those voices to the forefront. And that's how I think we can make actual change. 
Okay. I love that. And it's so true. And it's interesting because it's like, I was, I was deeply aware when I came across your work, I was like, yeah, everything I've seen speaking about environmentalism has all been from a white perspective. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just what I've seen. So it's like, it's interesting because it made me realize like, um, you know, how, and you, you pointed it out earlier perfectly, how a lot of our culture likes to separate the conversations Mm -hmm. that we're not able to connect them. So it's like, I very much, you know, um, if you, you know, I can understand somebody at first, not knowing better can think like, Mm -hmm. oh, I mean, there's so much I'm overwhelmed. It's like, I care about the environment and I care about, you know, human rights, but I can't do like, I can't Mm -hmm. do, but how do, we dismantle the idea that things are separate, specifically related to um, race and also the environment. Like how can we dismantle and take action for somebody who is super passionate? Um, Actually, specifically, I'm gonna say not someone, specifically for our um, non-black indigenous people of color allies Mm -hmm. that want to make a difference in the environment and also social justice. How do we dismantle that and how do we combine it and take action? I think one of the most important things, like I said, is to find the people in those communities that are already doing the work and then amplify their message. Because I think what goes wrong is when people are super well-intentioned and they want to be an ally, and then they go into a community and say, this is what you need, rather than asking, what do you need? Please tell me how I can assist you to accomplish those goals. Because there are people within those communities who have been trying to problem solve for a long time. And I think one of the best ways to use privilege is to help them amplify that message and to accomplish that goal. And for the intention not to be to come into that community to speak for them and be their voice, but to allow their voice to be heard. And I think that's something where there's often a misconception because people are so excited to help. But one of the best ways you can help is to bring that, you know, to the forefront. And then also talk with people in your community. And honestly, I think that makes a really big difference because humans are human. And sometimes they want to speak with people that they feel like they have a similar experience with. And some people might listen to me and what I'm saying, but they also might listen to their cousin or they might listen to their son or their daughter a little bit more because it's someone that they care about. So one of the strongest components of allyship is bringing these, um, topics to the conversation within your community that's not talking about it because I'm talking about it I'm plastering it all over my Instagram feed but what about those communities where this isn't a topic like you can introduce that to your circle in a way that's direct but also compassionate because I always want to encourage people to lead with compassion Um, and I think that can make a really big difference well and I I just want to honor the work you're doing too to like have you know, um, all those that are listening and watching, um, this message, you know, that, you know, it goes back to if you're in a neighborhood, in a part of the city, in a place where you are fighting just to live, you are not going to think about picking up plastic cups at the beach on the weekend. Exactly. (laughs) Like, like, they just want to survive. Like, I'm sorry, they don't have Tupperware that's glass. Like, that's not <laughs> first priority. 
Um, so that is something that, you know, uh, and also too, it's like, you know, the idea of, you know, like I like to surf, I like to hike. So it's very much in my environment of like, oh, I see this right here. So I'm going to do something about it right here. But it's like about the things of being aware of like what, you know, we're not seeing. And then also the thing that is very humbling and very sad to me out of all of the discussion of privilege is um, nature being privileged. Like Mm -hmm. the healing powers of nature, like that is just your birthright as a human. So, um, So that is something that is really, I think, you know, interesting. And I also love your connection of going back to talking about um, I know in some of the articles you've written, you've talked about different, like with um, like fracking and just like, mm-hmm. um, you know, like clean air and, um, you know, like also just like health wise, you know, the connection of all that with, you know, what is going on. I just, I just really um, think that's super important. And I think it's really important for um, everybody to not only look at themselves as being an anti-racist, but also an environmentalist. Exactly. Um, Something that you brought up in one of your articles, which I loved, is how environmental justice is essential for a sustainable future. So what are a couple of things that you would note about, um, you know, what are some of the essentials within social justice that would make us be able to set things up to have a sustainable future? Hmm. Something that I feel like doesn't get enough airtime is the conversation about sea level rise in small island nations and countries. So a lot of small island nation countries will no longer be able to inhabit where they live. And it's not their fault because they're not like the biggest polluters, but they're going to have to like exit their home and there's going to be a human rights crisis. So I think the countries, namely the United States and other really big polluters, need to think about that people component and say, what is our responsibility to take care of people who are no longer going to be able to inhabit their land because of our actions? And I think that's a conversation that needs to happen. Um, That's also really dynamic and kind of embedded into climate science and also environmental justice. Um, And I also think, what are some other ones? Hmm. I'm trying to think of other examples, but I kind of just want to give that one airtime because I feel like it's not really talked about. A well, lot. don't you think too, um, I was talking to one of my other friends about this is like, you know, as far as, you know, also as far as steps towards sustainable future connecting this, um, mm-hmm. not only looking up brands that are doing harm to the environment, how are those brands, who are the brands that you're, you know, spe- investing in that exactly. are also not, you know, anti-racist. So Mm -hmm. I think it's, you know, I think people have been, at least this is what I've been seeing, people having more of the discussion of the last couple years of like supporting brands that are for the environment. And it's really about like, okay, you know, um, what form is uh, capitalism going to be both uh, anti-racist as well as Mm pro-environment? So I think it's, you know, continuously educating ourselves and, um, you know, doing the research on the brands that we're investing in that are, you know, having this bigger impact. Would you agree? 
I completely agree. And I'm really excited. That's why I'm starting to, so I opened up a consulting business as well because so many companies like are eager to do this work and they're saying they might be eco-friendly companies, but they want to be intersectional environmentalist companies because if that's the new criteria that us consumers are expecting, we want our, we want our companies to not only care about the environment, but also like you said, be anti-racist. And if that's a new standard, I am so excited and I am so excited to help companies transform their mission to be that because I think people are going to start demanding that from companies and left and right. We're seeing even sustainable companies. I don't really like canceling, but get canceled in the media because people are deciding to step up and say, even though this is an eco-friendly company, you have harmed your employees and the planet in these ways. And I think it's a really big teachable moment for a lot of companies and organizations to say, we can't just be, we can't just stay in this one lane. We need to see how all of these things are interconnected. One, because it's right. And two, because people are going to stop buying from them. We're, and we're in a pandemic. So people are already not buying as much. So they are going to lose all their money if they don't properly prioritize everything. Don't you think, and I had this discussion with another friend, um, it's like, you know, with everything coming to a head as it has um, between, you know, the Black lives and the environment and everything, I just feel like as humans, we've, you know, a majority of the population has become complacent and taken for granted all of these things that we have in place. And, you know, we've been in this like fight or flight mode for, for so long going to work. People are just really concerned about themselves, taking care of, yeah. you know, making ends meet, blah, 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 blah. And then you have the whole world on hold at home and actually having a second mm-hmm. to themselves and being able to see the bigger picture. Yeah. I, do you feel that if we didn't have COVID where everybody's at home and like really like, I feel like more alert to other mm-hmm. things and questioning things that this would have been become the movement um, that it has? No. And I'm not like a religious person, but I'm kind of a spiritual person. And it honestly feels like just divine timing. Like I don't know how else to put it in terms of what's happening with me personally and what's happening with this movement because it's so beyond me that people are already at home thinking about society and processing and grieving the society that we had because of this pandemic. We're all on our phones constantly, but we're connected in a, in a different way. Because honestly, because of the pandemic, I'm more connected to my friends now. I talk to them more regularly, people that I usually would only see every couple months. Like I have Skype calls and FaceTime calls and I'm speaking with them and interacting with them on social media and finding joy through that. And then in addition to that, we're always on our phones so you can't look away. And when we were out and about and going outside, like it's so easy to just turn your mind off and not think about it. And all of this, as terrible as it is, it's making us come to terms with society and the new society that we want. And we don't want the society that we left behind before this pandemic. Absolutely. I feel also just, you know, when I've talked to other spiritual friends and just personally, like I feel very much we are purging out all the things that no longer work for us. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's like it, it, things had... Uh, 
it's like, dare I say, like things had to get as bad, like people were just not waking up. It's like how much, yeah. how many things did, needs to happen for you to wake up and give a, you know, give a damn, you know, like, <laughs> like what else, what else has to happen? Like, because please. yeah, so much has, there've been so many movements. There was a huge climate movement with kids leaving school to go on walks to support the client. And if that wasn't enough, and there's already been a ton of police shooting. So I'm like, what, what else do they have to get? And it's strange that a pandemic was the thing that is making people wake up. But I'm kind of like, you know, if this is what had to happen to create a more just society, then I'm not thankful for it. But it just makes me feel like, I don't know, like I'm thankful that people got to take a step back and just examine society and the way that they're doing right now. And that's a really cool part of everything that's going on, even though it's really traumatic and terrible. I'm really excited for people who I never thought would even talk about race to start examining all the interconnectedness of everything. And it's interesting because like even with this podcast, I, it was a couple weeks ago. Well, I, the last episode I had released about anti-racism for beginners. Um, I, it was interesting because I didn't realize, and this is my own, you know, naivety to this was I'm used to having conversations about race. A lot of my friends are black. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a black community. I have these conversations. I was blown away and this was my own privilege and, and just assuming I really did yeah. assume a lot of people I, I did. I was like, Oh, they know that that's wrong. And I was like, they Oh don't. my <laughs> gosh. Oh my they gosh. Don't. And I was like, uh, uh, like, <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. I was like, cause you know, this uh, podcast is a lot of spiritual uh, talk and this is a spiritual yeah. issue. It's human. <laughs> it's our earth. It's all interconnected. <laughs> and I just really like, I mean, so I'm just so grateful to have you on and I'm just so grateful for the work you're doing. And I'm really excited for the work you're doing because it's for me, it made it more simple, like simplify it. You know, it's so easy to complicate things and it's like, you know, um, like how we rise above the duality, you know, how do we, you know, move forward and really know that really everything is connected. It's not just another tile on your Instagram. Like this exactly. is all interconnected. Um, mm -hmm. and it shouldn't be a privilege to breathe clean air. It shouldn't be a privilege to go walk among the trees. It should not be a privilege to be outside and connect with the sun and not be having to have, you know, like eyes behind your head to just exactly. live. So um, I'm just super excited for this work you're doing. I'm su super excited for, to have like a name for it. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, it's, I, so like, cool. it's so cool. I actually just pulled up um, your website again. Can I read your definition on here? Yes, please do, because I, I need to memorize it. So okay, <laughs> what is intersectional environmentalism? This is an inclusive version of environmentalism that advocates for both the protection of people and the planet. It identifies the ways in which injustices happening to in marginalized communities and the earth are interconnected. It brings injustices done to the most vulnerable communities and the earth to the forefront and does not minimize or silence social inequality. Intersectional environmentalism advocates for justice for people and the planet. So, yes. so good. You're so brilliant. Okay, so let's play a game. So let's yes. future trip in like five years. Okay. 
where are things at for you personally? And where do you feel things are at with doing the work that you've been doing? What's your vision for in five years? Five years, hopefully a lot more eco-friendly companies because that's kind of the space that I work in. Hopefully they're not just eco-friendly companies, but they're intersectional environmentalist companies and they're talking about these things boldly and taking action on both climate justice and environmental justice and social justice. So I would love that. Um, I know it's going to be a slow process, but I think five years, that's enough time to change and make some major changes. I think a year is enough time. I think a month is enough time. People need to act quickly. So I hope these organizations kind of get it together. Um, and also for me personally, I am working on an intersectional environmentalist platform with a couple of friends. It's really scrappy and we're just putting it together, but so many people are interested and while we have their attention, because I know the media kind of fluctuates, we're trying to just get this website up by the end of the week. It's going to be a website of resources with different issue areas. So it's called Intersectional Environmentalist. You go to it. There's going to be different buckets. We're launching with five or six. So there's going to be LGBTQ plus issues. There's going to, we're going to talk about black identity issues. We're going to talk about allyship, also Latinx issues and indigenous issues. And when they click on each issue area, they can learn about organizations that we believe are intersectional and how they can support them. They can read personal essays from people from within that community about their experience with nature and the environment. They can, they'll have access to peer-reviewed articles about that one particular group. And there's just going to be a lot of content so people can do a deep dive. And we want to provide them with those resources and point them in the right direction. So that's what it is. And hopefully in the next five years, it can grow. And I would love to write a book. That's something that is maybe on the table. So hopefully I can do that in the next couple of years. Oh, that's totally going to happen. I'm so excited <laughs> for you. Um, oh, I love it. Okay. Wouldn't you say, I'm just want to like summarize a point here mm -hmm. <laughs> for our listeners. Would it, I mean, instead of thinking of it separate, just to remind people that protecting the livelihood, the lives of our black and brown friends is literally taking care of the planet. Yeah, exactly, because we are inhabitants of the planet. So it's like to take care of the planet, you need to also take care of the people. And it's strange to me that like people in environmentalist circles, they understand why it's important to take care of salmon and fish and you know all of these different organisms. But the second you bring up black people, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, what are you talking about? And I just think, we need to protect all of the organisms on this planet and people are part of it. And I think why it's so hard for people is because our current society has separated people and nature. So we no longer think that we are living in an ecosystem. We think, oh, I'm in my house and I go to nature if I go to a, nat a national park but they don't realize that no, we are a part of nature even if we're living in our houses and yeah, so we're a part of it. So hopefully if we can raise awareness for that within our society, I think people will be a lot nicer to the planet and then understand why we need to also protect marginalized people, just like we need to protect the salmon and waterways. So I love the salmon. <laughs> Where is your favorite uh, place in nature? Like what are you a mountain girl, desert girl, ocean girl? Where's your favorite place? 
Oh my God. I just love all of it. I love Joshua Tree, but I've just been there so many times. I love the desert. It just is such a cool environment to be in. I also love, so my friends have been trying to teach me how to surf. I used to work at Patagonia, so everyone's like a surfer. Um, and I don't really like, this is going to sound silly and lazy, but I don't like doing the work to get out in the water, but I just like to sit. Like, you know, when surfers just like sit in the water and kind of like straddle their surfboard, that's like my favorite part of the whole surfing process and just sitting and talking and balancing and just kind of rocking with the waves. It's so therapeutic. And I also, I really do like going on hikes and in California, there's just so many different ecosystems. We get deserts, we get forests, we get forests with waterfalls. Like, have you been to Mendocino? It's so pretty. So I just, I know that doesn't answer your question, but honestly. No, it does. I I, I mean, I feel like, I I mean, it's not really a fair question. It's pretty much the same for me. Like I love everywhere. And the thing I do love about California, it's very much like choose your own adventure. Um, And I, I, I've been surfing for a few years and I, I love it. And it's really interesting because um, you know, I haven't surfed for like months and then I finally went back in the water and I was, I was like, it was like bigger day and I was like, Oh, I'm so not in the mood. Like I'm not in the mood, um, to get challenged like this, but it was so magical. Cause I remember just sitting out on my board and literally a pot of dolphins, you know, came up to me and like, one of them was like staring at me and I was just like, realizing it's like I mean also being deeply aware of like this is a privilege that I get to go to the ocean and it shouldn't be like everybody should be able to go and be in mother nature wherever they feel the pull Uh, oh my gosh well I'm just so excited to have you on I'm so excited for the work you're doing I'm so excited for the platform that you're creating to connect people to Um, be able to really take action. And, you know, I definitely, something I'm really focused on is, you know, the action steps, not for right now, not while Mm -hmm. this topic is hot in the news or circulating online. It's like, no, like what is, what are the action steps for the long game? Like, what are you going to be doing to really um, set things, you know, in motion for not even change, but for transformation? Um, so I just love that. Is there anything coming up that you're like super, anything else that you're super excited about and like, um, want to talk about? Um, there are things that are coming. I'm going to be doing an Instagram live with a famous climber in the outdoor community. So I'm really excited about that. Just still solidifying some of those details, but he may be free soloed. Um, so, <laughs> so I'm very excited just to have these conversations with people. I like that. I just, I'm such a fan of, you know, and that they care. It just means so, so much to me. So be on the lookout for that. We're still solidifying some details and then I'm just going to be doing a lot of writing, um, and trying to build this platform and see where it goes. But it seems like there's a lot of interest um in this platform and yeah so I don't know I'm gonna take care of myself but I might kind of I don't want to say I'm gonna exhaust myself for the cause but I think I will in the next like week or so because I can always sleep later and I know it's not that's not good advice but I'm just gonna work as hard as I can do as much press as I can do as many podcasts as I can while while this 
while people are so interested so I can hopefully just get out a ton of resources. I, I, whenever it's not going to just be now, this is long-term. Everybody's going to be wanting to talk to you. Like, I like, it's weird for me to, I think it's still the process of acceptance. It's only been like a week or so. And I'm just like, Oh, you know, this will pass, but I, I'm starting to feel like maybe it won't, which is kind of, I think this is an invitation. Like I, I, I feel this is like, you know, the saying people, I'm totally going to botch it up. I, I like, I feel like I have wise words and then I totally botch things up. Um, you know, when people say like, you know, ten, uh, uh, overnight success, 10 years in the making kind of mm-hmm. thing. Like this is that. This is, I think, you know, I would definitely think about what feels good to you and pace it around that. People are going to want to talk to you, whether it's right now or in a year from now or three months from now, like, you get to design your own life. You get to set the pace. You have medicine that the world needs and, you know, you get to choose when it feels good to you. Like, I mean, I think, I think this is very much the, the very beginning and they're not going to mm-hmm. go away. That's I just- appreciate that. I think sometimes, and this goes deeper, like some people just have a scarcity mindset of like, oh God, there's something that's happening right now. Let me like, take it, take it, take it before it goes away. And that's something that I think I just need to work on personally, but um, that's probably coming. I, think so too. I don't even think it's a working thing, but like you, you know, with everybody, you know, realizing all the things that are happening in the world and their participation in it, like you have all the power cards right now. Like you can set the tone for what you want. Like you're a consultant, you're a writer, you know, you're an advocate, ad- is there a difference between advocate and activist? I don't know. I feel like activists just might have a slightly different connotation. I don't know. They just sound different, but they're basically the same thing. Yeah. But I feel like if someone's identifying as an activist, then I expect them to be like taking it to the streets or like. Yeah, that's what I think too. I'm like, you better have a son, you know. It <laughs> <laughs> better see you at a march. And no, I'm just yeah. kidding. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm so excited for you. This is just the beginning. I, you're going to get to do all the things that you want to do. This is um, really an amazing soul mission of yours. Um, and you're going to have a huge impact and you already are. So really like also like, I I mean, this is just like my like intuitive hit I'm getting. It's like to figure out the things for you, like, you know, with when you're having the voice and in your using that energy, it's so amazing. Like, what are you doing to reground for yourself? Not what other people are telling you to do or, you know, all the opportunities going to be there. This is, this is just the beginning. You get to like... You get, you get to design your own life. This is very exciting. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm really excited about this. That's a wrap for today on the Healer Dealer Podcast. If you liked this episode, it would mean the world to me if you could leave a five-star review and let me know what you loved about this episode and what you want to hear more of. Until then, do what feels good. Know that you are always supported and it is your birthright to have all the things you desire. I'm your healer dealer, Diana Zalecki. Thank you so much for being here. I hope to see you next time. Cheers.